We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're so excited to release this episode because we really think it's going to relate to a lot of mothers. Our guest today shares the story of experiencing severe postpartum depression with her first child, so severe that she narrowly avoided a suicide attempt. She shares what it was like to go to such a dark place, what it looked like to get help, and how she learned to manage her mental health for the long term. Nish is a huge advocate for reaching out for the help you need and not compromising on self-care. She believes that depression and anxiety don't have to define who you are as a mother, and that's the message that we really want to get across to our listeners. I'll just quickly introduce our guest. Um, Nish Wyseth is um, a friend of mine from, she used to live here in Portland and now is in Salt Lake City. She's a, a speaker and a writer. She wrote a book called Speak, which is about sharing your story and hearing the story of others. And I think you're also working on a new book. Is that right? Yes, I am. Book two. Book two. Currently working. Cool. Yeah. When, when do you think that'll be, any idea when that's going to be ready to go? Uh, well, do people know it's that? up for debate, but at least, it, yeah, at, at least a year from yeah. now. Everyone knows I'm writing a book, yeah. but no one really knows when it's going to yeah. come out, so we'll see. <laughs> that sounds, from from what I know of the various authors that are in my life, it sounds like, at least for some period of time, that's the pretty typical story. It's like, it's in the works. We'll see. Yep. We'll see. So, that's exactly right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, um, I would love to hear a little bit of the background of, you know, before you had, you have two kids, you've got a son named Rowan yep. and a daughter named Scout. Before, mm-hmm. before you got pregnant with Rowan, tell us a little of the background just of kind of where your head was at w- about motherhood in general. What was, um, was, you know, was it a planned pregnancy? Just give us a little background on things. Yeah, totally. So, when we got pregnant with Rowan, it was um, a what we call a planned surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, we knew that we wanted to start having kids, or at least we were open to the idea of start having you know yeah. having kids. And um, so we pulled the goalie mm-hmm. and decided, <laughs> you know, we'll go ahead and see where it takes us. Well, good thing we were ready because I got pregnant almost immediately. Yeah. Um, and so there we were, all of a sudden expecting. Um, our first kid who turned out to be a boy mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, I don't know that I really had any expectations. Maybe I did. Yeah. I, it's, it's been a while. So honestly, I don't remember. Um, I, th- I, th- I mean, I think everyone has expectations, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you have your dreams of what it's going to be like, um, and what, what motherhood is going to look like. And, you know, you have these images of a peaceful sleeping baby all the time right. and everyone's happy and snuggly and, oh, that's precious. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no one, like everyone tells you that you're going to be tired, but you don't no. really understand until you have a baby and then you're like, oh, this is what tired means. Yeah, yeah we, can, um, we can all agree on that. Yes, exactly. So, um, no, I was, I was excited. I was, I was excited to be a mom. Um, I didn't quite know what that was going to look like for me professionally. I had a full-time job. Um, 
Um, and then when we got pregnant, really leading up to just a couple months before Rowan was born, um, I had this full plan to go back to work. Like this is what I'm going to do. Um, but then looking kind of at the financial like benefit, we're like, oh, there's really not a ton of financial benefit for me to go back to work because my whole paycheck would go towards childcare. So, um, it just kind of ended up to, you know, make sense that I would, I would stay home. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, just did all of the normal pregnancy stuff. Everything was relatively good. Um, I had a few major complications, Mm -hmm. um, during pregnancy. I had to have abdominal surgery at 20 weeks. Oh my goodness. What was that for? Um, well, they, they found a cyst on my ovary at like 10 to 12 weeks. And by the time I got my full anatomy ultrasound at 20 weeks, it had grown to a size of like a grapefruit. Mm. Um, and it was on my ovary. And so because it grew so fast and so big, uh, they were worried it was cancer. Oh, wow. And so I had to meet with an oncologist and we had this whole plan. Like I would go through chemo and I mean, it was just terrifying. Wow. And at that point, it's actually the safest to operate on a pregnant woman between 20 and 22 weeks. And so they said it's actually riskier to leave it in than it is to take it out. And so they operated at 21 weeks and removed one of my ovaries and had a you know full recovery. Um, it's fine. And it wasn't cancer. It was just a cyst. But, you know, that was obviously a huge you know, huge complication and a huge emotional moment. That was not how I expected all of my pregnancy to go. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that set you up for a lot of just anxiety and and fear about the process in yes. general and what you could expect from your body and all of those. Yeah. 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 I mean, you definitely learn. I mean, even in those moments, like you know, just how resilient the body is, but man, there's only so much you can put it through. (laughs) Um, it was, it was hugely taxing, um, because whatever energy I had was already being given, you know, to the baby. And then on top of that, you added like a major abdominal surgery recovery. I mean, I was just on the bed for weeks. Um, so, but the baby was fine. Everyone was healthy. Everything was good. It ended up being fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was kind of a huge, like, oh my gosh, this is not, this is not what I imagined. This is not how I pictured this going. Um, so, and in some ways maybe it prepared me for what followed, but I'm not, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I don't don't know. It was just a, it was a huge shock and it was, it was hard. It was hard. Well, well, so that was kind of fancy. Well, well, you know, part of, part of your story that we'll get into is a story, including, postpartum depression and and your journey with that will you tell us a little bit before we before we get to that tell us a little bit about your birth with Rowan and how that went oh my birth with Rowan was just textbook it was really easy I got an epidural um which I'm so happy with (laughs) (laughs) I love women who don't I think it's amazing I, it it just does not compute in my brain. So I got an epidural. Um, I progressed like a centimeter an hour, just like, you know, I mean, it was really standard textbook, like no complications, no issues. Um, and I pushed for a half hour and then he was born and it was like, Oh, there he is. It was just so easy. I mean, it's not easy. It's birth. Even with an epidural, it's hard. Mm -hmm. But it was, there were, there was just, I mean, it was everything that I expected it was going to be. There was, there no surprises, nothing like that. And I would, I gave birth to him in a hospital in Portland. Um, and the, the staff was wonderful and everyone was great. And 
it was it was a really wonderful experience. It was a wonderful experience. I love that. I do it all if it didn't result in a baby right. I would have it I would I would go through birth a thousand times if I didn't also have to have well, a baby have you end. heard of surrogacy <laughs> you can do that right. and people you sound like a money. great candidate <laughs> <laughs> that is true that is true were you unfortunately oh go ahead miserable I'm a miserable pregnant woman. <laughs> okay, then you're not a great candidate. <laughs> no, no, I get super sick and yeah. grouchy. It's just the whole deal. Yeah. My poor. Were you so. were you full term when Rowan was born? I was. He was uh, five days late, six days okay. late, I think. So not long. Okay. So tell us a little bit now about your postpartum journey and the depression you experienced, and just all of that, all of those details. Yeah, yeah. So when, when Rowan was born, um, I mean, it was it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And I had this adorable little baby. And he was, I mean, easy baby, guys, like really easy, even though he woke up, you know, a lot during the night, he, he, he started sleeping through the night at like, five weeks. Yeah, I mean, just like, so easy. Um, I wasn't able to nurse um, with either of my kids, Mm -hmm. actually. And my, my milk actually just never came in. I just didn't produce any. And so, um, it was, it was, it was hard. That was hard because I think I placed a lot of expectations on myself. Um, and then all of a sudden I couldn't do this thing that I felt like my body was supposed to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt like I, I carried a lot of shame about that and I carried a lot of guilt yeah. Um, and because like when the baby would wake up, when he would wake up in the middle of the night, um, you know, my husband for a while until we realized like this is not working, um, you know, he would feed him formula and I would try to pump and like nothing would happen. Right. And so here I am like sitting on a rocking chair, like pumping at the same time Rowan is feeding just to kind of get myself on a rhythm should it happen. Yeah. And I'm like watching my husband feed my baby every single time. And I'm like, this is atrocious for me. <laughs> like I could not handle it. Yeah. That's, do you um, feel like it kind of added to the message? Like I can't do this. This isn't working. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's absolutely really hard. Yeah. It was like, I can't do this. I can't nurse. I can't pump. I you can't. Know, I mean, I, I was yeah, I can't do anything. Here I am. I'm already like, I am a failure straight out the gate, even though it was nothing I could have controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, when it's your first one and you don't know any different, and this is all that all of your friends tell you to do. It's what everyone says is the right thing to do. And all of a sudden you can't, it's like, you feel, you, you feel a tremendous weight. Yeah. Um, and so that really, I think was like, that was probably the thing that like, sparked it. Mm-hmm. I think that I um already had the predisposition for depression. I think I mean I that was just who I am. That's my brain chemistry. It runs in my family, all of those things. Yeah. And so but that was that was the spark that started the fire. Mm-hmm. And um it just it it spiraled from there. When Rowan was about four weeks old, um my husband had to travel. He had to travel. He actually had to come here to Salt Lake City. He had a conference here in Salt Lake City, I think it was. And um, and so this was the first time I was alone mm-hmm. with the baby. And it was for like a week. When you have like a four-week-old baby, it's your first one. You have no idea what you're doing. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's a really long time to be alone. Yeah, it's a really long time. And you're like you are still not like back in your body yet. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it takes you a while to like fully come back to yourself <laughs> after you give a baby, even when you don't deal with postpartum depression or any sort of like postpartum illness, yeah. 
to really feel like a human again and like things are kind of back in balance, at least like at a regular level, it just, it takes time. It takes a long time, longer than four weeks. And so I just, I wasn't there yet. Um, And so of course I was already very emotionally fragile. I was very um, nervous. I was scared. I already had this kind of like weight of shame. Um, And then he left. Were you still trying to pump at that time or was, was the, the breastfeeding saga over? No, it was over at that point after about two weeks. And I literally produced like nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, the pediatrician, I mean, everyone was like, it's not working. Like, it's not worth it. It's not worth the shame. It's not worth everything else. Like you need to just feed your baby. Like he'll be so happy. Just don't even, you know, it it doesn't matter. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And of course you're like internalizing all of that and you're like, it's not fine. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, um, I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't breastfed him for at least like two weeks or tried to pump in, in like two weeks at that time. And so, um, in a lot of ways I was still getting the hang of feeding him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there was a lot that even I was still like new to, um, four weeks out that I didn't have the whole time because I was so busy trying to like pump. And so, um, yeah, so then he he went out of town, my husband, and um, that's when things got out of control. Mm. Uh, I was inconsolable. Um, I would cry all the time, like, and it and it wasn't like there was a really sappy commercial, and all of a sudden you are like in a puddle and in tears. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't any sort of like external impetus that would cause me to cry. It was that internal despair um, of realizing why am I not joyful? I have this new baby. This is what I wanted. Why am I not happy? Mm. Like this does not make me happy. I am miserable. Um, And when Eric was gone, it was maybe the second night that he was away. There was just a night where for whatever reason, Like Rowan had been such an easy baby. I knew exactly what to do to calm him. Eric knew what to do to calm him. This was like the one night. Of course it had to happen when Eric was gone, right? Where um, I could not console my baby. He was crying and I couldn't make it stop. I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it's in the middle of the night. It's like one in the morning. And so, and I'm an emotional wreck. Cause he's just sitting there screaming at me, even when I'm doing everything I know how to do. And I'm just sitting in the rocking chair in his nursery, just sobbing, holding my screaming baby. Wow. And I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm a complete mess. And I called my husband and I told him I'm a mess and he's, you know, trying to walk me through it. And, but there's only so much he can do, right. He's, you know, thousands of miles away. Yeah. And he probably doesn't fully <laughs> get the gravity of what you're experiencing. No, not even a little bit, not even a little bit. And so he didn't, he didn't really realize it until he came home Mm. when I told him what happened. And so I fought Ryan, um, Ryan Rowan finally calmed down. I got him tucked away into his little bassinet in my bedroom and he was sleeping and everything was like, okay, okay. Like here we are. But for whatever reason, I couldn't, I couldn't pick myself up out of the despair. Yeah that I felt. And, um, 
that was where I had the first thoughts of like, he would be better off if I wasn't his mom. Mm. You know, if, if I wasn't here, Rowan would actually be better. This would be better for everybody because I'm crazy. Those are the thoughts that came into my head. And so like, you know, Eric would be better off. Like all the, I mean, all these horrible lies. That's really what it is. You are believing all of the lies that depression tells you. It, it traps you when you're most vulnerable. Yeah. And here I was totally believing them. And I was in such a pit of despair. I couldn't see past the end of my nose. And so going back to my, you know, pre-birth story, because I had abdominal surgery, um, it was excruciatingly painful. Yeah. Um, I had a bunch of pain pills at my disposal. And so, and I had a variety. And I remember walking into the bathroom, which was like around the corner from where Rowan was sleeping. And I remember walking into the bathroom and taking all the pill bottles um, and emptying them into the palm of my hand. And like, I was ready to take them. Like this was it. I just, I could not deal with the crushing pain anymore. It was so painful. I just couldn't deal. And I remember sitting there holding those pills and I was like sobbing. I was crying. I was just ready to be done. I couldn't take it anymore. Everybody would be better off. And it was, I don't know what happened. I don't know what it was. Um, I like to say that it was God <laughs> that literally saved me in this moment. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know. I'll never know. Um, you know, I just looked down in my hand and I saw all the pills and I just had this like moment of going, what am I doing? It was just like a split second moment. And I like brushed them off my hand cause they were all like stuck to my hand. I was so sweaty <laughs> and like, you know, just covered with snot from crying so much. Um, and I like brushed them off my hand and they scattered all over the floor and I like sat down on the like tile of my bathroom um, and just sobbed, but it was, it was enough. Like that teeny tiny moment of going, this is not it. Yeah. Like this is not the answer was just enough. Like it, it didn't go away. The despair didn't go away. The pain didn't go away. The guilt didn't go away. None of it went away, but it was enough for me to go like, this is not going to help anybody. Yeah. Um, so that's, that was the start of a really long journey of realizing that this is what I experienced that night and the actions that I was almost willing to take was way out of the norm, yeah. like way out of the norm. Um, it is perfectly normal for women to be emotional and all those sorts of things after pregnancy and mm -hmm. to even feel moments of despair or moments of sadness and to not feel joyful as our hormones are kind of regulating and figuring yeah. things out. We just, we just burst all of them out of our body. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, but there are there are things that aren't okay, yeah. that aren't normal, and um, within the bounds of what we can say is um, healthy. Yeah, and so that that started a journey, and Eric came home, and I um, I had managed to put all the pills back in the bottle. Obviously, I didn't want them scattered all over my floor and put mm -hmm. them all away. And um, when he came home that night, I walked, I like grabbed the the pill bottles and I handed them to him hmm. and I said I need you to take these and Eric's family they have a long history of like addiction problems um abuse problems that sort of thing and so he's looking at me going like is there like do you have a problem 
yeah. you know, like thinking that that's his frame, like that's his framework right. for yeah. me handing these pills. Right. And I said, well, it's not the problem you're thinking of. And like, I, I almost took all of them at once wow. and he just like almost collapsed, like couldn't believe that this was actually happening. Um, and he was just so sad. I mean, he was sad. I was sad. And then he's like, okay, let's figure out the next thing. And so, um, I called a friend of mine, um, named Heather who Melissa, you might know Heather Thomas. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I do know her. Yeah. So I called Heather and said, Hey, I need the name of a counselor like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and I, I made an appointment with my OB. I got into counseling. Um, I got on medication, um, and it just became a very long journey. Yeah. Um, I didn't fully, I don't even know that I fully recovered. I don't know that that's actually a way to describe it for me. Mm-hmm. Some women only experience it for, you know, periods after birth that, that wasn't my experience. Yeah. Um, I think it. Uh, I think, like I said, I think I had a predisposition for depression and I think that birth and postpartum depression was the impetus for me dealing with mental illness moving forward. Right. It was something that was latent that you kind of, this was the trigger. I, I really relate to that, not with postpartum depression, but my experience was postpartum anxiety that was yes. really debilitating, you know, after my son was born. And even now, you know, seven and a half years later, while I've certainly, we would no longer call it postpartum anxiety. Um, and, and it's certainly much more manageable than it was at that time. I still have anxiety that I did not know existed before I had my first kid. So I, I, I definitely relate to that. There's a, there's sort of an awakening that happens where it's like, this is now, this is now part of me. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so and that that came with its own reckoning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you realize this isn't going away, what does this mean moving forward? Yeah. Um, that's that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> I'm going wait, OK, like I'm going to be dealing with mental illness the rest of my life, possibly. Yeah, it just it just changes your landscape. Yeah. Right. It changes your interactions and how you um, take care of yourself, how you take care of your family, how you, all of these things. And so it actually, and I mean, in, in many ways, I like to try to find the blessing in some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause sometimes it can, it can seem like too much. Right. And so it's like, okay, now what are, what are the things that this has brought me that have been joyful in spite of these, you know, horribly painful experiences. And one of them is I have, because of it, I'm incredibly more self-aware. Mm, yeah incredibly more self-aware of my own emotion and my emotional processes and how I cope, where I go to for unhealthy coping mechanisms. Therapy helped me come to terms with that of going like, oh man, when I'm feeling depression or anxiety, because I experienced anxiety after Scout was born. Mm. And so, you know, what, um, where do I go when I'm feeling depressed or anxious? Like what are my coping mechanisms? What are things that lead me into moments of anxiety or depression? Do I know what my triggers are? Yeah. Do I know? It just, it helps you really become more aware. Yeah. And that for me has been an incredibly healthy thing. And I think that's so powerful because so often in the postpartum, you know, if postpartum yes. period can be an impetus for, like you said, an illumination of maybe a predisposition or a struggle that you have, you mm-hmm. you get into this season where there's no coping. 
It's like maybe the things that you could have leaned on before to deal with your depression or Melissa with your anxiety, those are out the window because now you have this being and this state of being that is altered. So maybe you're coping with being alone or maybe you're coping with sleeping or maybe you're coping with going out and having a drink or hanging out with friends. You've kind of, you know, when you're in this postpartum period with this newborn, your circle and your ability to kind of flee to those things, it really closes in. And can make exactly right. and can make you feel like even the things that may have worked before are not an option. Now you're alone. Now you have none of your coping mechanisms, and you're and you have to go. You have to go to bed, and you have to do it again tomorrow. And I think it yeah. it can kind of um, create this like perfect petri dish to kind of grow the things that you didn't even know existed or illuminate them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that women don't under. I don't know. It's it's not understanding. It's you just you don't experience it till it's there, yeah. And it's on you, and exactly right. And you are you are there, and it's happening, and you're looking to the left and the right. And I wanted to say something about some of the things that you shared. I think one thing that's really difficult in um, looking towards postpartum depression because th- th- we do education on it all the time now. It's something that is supposed to be part of your you know you kind of get a spiel on it sometimes in the hospital or in the clinic. And I I hate some of the things that we say. I hate the term baby blues. Right. I think yeah. it's ridiculous to call things that could be depression blues <laughs> and to kind of put a cute bow on it and say like, oh, you're going to feel these feelings only because when you feel those feelings, they don't feel like normal feelings. Yeah. You know, right. everybody can have hormone shifts. Like you said, your hormones all over the place. You might watch a sad video or, or be sad. Like my life has changed. You might have those feelings, but true yes. symptoms of postpartum depression are not baby blues. They're not things that no. you can, like you said, you can't push it aside. It's not, you're not putting it on the shelf and moving on to the next thing. Like you said, mm-hmm. you can't see past your nose. That was something really powerful because I think that that's, that's the place where people end and they don't know what to do next. Yep. That's exactly so, right. No, I just, I think that that's something that you kind of really stated very profoundly, which is that that inside voice that you had was stronger than any of the outside voices. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I think that um, even though that's true, those out, those outside voices for me, man, they save my life more yeah. times than I can count. You know what I mean? Because sometimes, even though the inside voices in my head, I can't seem to pull myself out of the pit of despair having that other voice, like having, having someone else remind me, like, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's not right now, but it's going to be okay. It's not something that I could internally believe in that moment, but I could rely on someone else believing it for me. Yeah. Right. And I could go, okay, I cannot believe this right now, but I'm just going to lean on you and you're going to have to believe it for me. Yeah. And it, for me, the, survival really of postpartum depression Mm -hmm. was a communal effort I don't know if if I didn't have a spouse who loved me and was around or had the work flexibility because because I was considered suicidal my um, counselor suggested to my husband and us that like can he work from home for a while right (laughs) because you shouldn't be alone um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful I had a, a, a spouse who had work flexibility or a spouse just in general, yeah. um, who was home and who was, you know, who, who, who knew me well, who I, I'm thankful I had a community of people around me who knew and loved me that I felt comfortable with telling. Right. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge piece that, that women miss. It's, I mean, obviously 
the the core thing is like we we hope that every woman has a community period right right, right. um there is something to that phrase it takes a village there really is yeah um but a lot of women, even if they have a community, they still have this fear and inability to voice the reality and say, like, I have been diagnosed with postpartum depression. Like, to get those words out of your mouth yeah. is sometimes so hard. It's so hard. You don't want people to judge you. You don't want people to fear you. You don't want people to think that you can't raise your child because you already think that. And so you have all of these like horrible lies that you tell yourself that keeps you from voicing your truth and your reality. And then it, it siphons you off even more. And so one of the big thing, big things that I think needs to be done, like, yes, there is like screening happening in hospitals and there's screening happening with midwives and OBs and it's great. Mm -hmm. We need more of it. Mm -hmm. But the other piece is like, man, we have got to start emboldening and giving words for women who are experiencing this to be able to voice it. Yeah. Um, and to keep encouraging women to go like, you have to talk about it mm -hmm. with yeah. your people. Um, cause you're going to rely on your people and they love you. They want to know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and just how the, the safety piece is huge because I think, well, you know, when you're struggling with something like postpartum depression or anxiety, what you said is so true. You, you already think that you can't do this, that you're doing a horrible job, that you're failing. And so it's very easy to think that others will perceive that same thing if you give any voice to the struggles that you're having. So, you know, even, even just saying to someone like, I'm really struggling the last couple of days or like, I, really don't want to be around my baby you 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 over and you you blow up what that you know what people will think that means when if 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 a friend told me that I would be like uh yeah I get it have you like <laughs> if if you haven't been feeling that way since day one that would be that would be strange you know let me take your baby let me hold your baby let me stay here yeah. let me stay here with you tonight um let me you know let me take over meals for the next, you know, let's figure mm -hmm. out how we're going to make sure that you are not just supported, but because it's, it's isolating, not, I mean, even women that have people all around them can feel isolated. It's like, absolutely. And I think something that I have thought about in regards to just some of the language and some of the media and some of the things that are out about postpartum depression is I think that a lot of people see it and they think, oh, it's if you are depressed and then you, you want to harm your baby or you don't yeah you don't like your baby and it's like that is definitely a struggle for some people in postpartum depression i also think mm -hmm. you know at least from your story your, your struggle was more about yourself yeah that it was i'm i'm what's wrong in this situation i'm not i'm not fit to be this kid's mother i'm the problem and so i yeah. think that that's something that i feel like you know people think of postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis and they think of you know the obviously horrible stories about people who have harmed their baby and i think mm -hmm. that 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 is the message that you know i think that's an important message as well but i also mm -hmm. think that that's that's the thing that means that comes is coming and i think it is kind of growing i think more people are sharing and you know in our society there's power in people who have an audience sharing about yep. postpartum depression and there are there are you know various celebrities and writers who i feel like have done a little bit better about that in the last couple of years but i think yeah. that that sometimes is hard is that people don't they don't like kind of associate that with with maybe that kind of internal criticism. I don't know if that's the right word or it's the internal despair of yes. the situation. Mm -hmm. And so I think yeah. that that's something that I feel needs to grow is that message that it's like it's not it's not al always presented in a 
I wish that I hadn't had a baby or I wish that this baby wasn't here. Sometimes it is that I'm, I can't do this. I'm not made to be this kid's mom or, you know, like you said, I'm failing at this enough that I don't think I should do it. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it comes back to what you were saying, Nish, too, about realizing like this is not normal. And I think that when women have that realization that what I'm experiencing is not normal, how I feel about my baby or how I feel about myself is not normal, they that isolates them even more because we're 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 thinking of normal in in the wrong context. Like, no, it's not physiologically normal, but it right. is common. You are not alone. Yes. There are many women who experience this. And even though it's not, we don't want you to be in this place. And even though it's not, you know, quote unquote, normal for, and, and where you, you know, need to be, it's, it's common. Women experience this. And I think the shame and the guilt of, you know, feeling those feelings and feeling like this isn't normal. I'm the only one like this is not how mothers feel. I'm, you know, that Mm -hmm. just exacerbates that, that state that you're in. And, 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 and like you said, siphons you off even further. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. And I think that that's a really helpful distinction to go like, is this normal? No. Is this common? Yes. Like it is. So it's so common. Yeah. It is so. I have been amazed by how many women I've talked to after I've mentioned my bout with depression who have come up to me and said, "Like, I didn't realize I wasn't alone." Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, and you're like, "There are millions of us, literally millions of us, that have experienced this." And how can how can we still, in our so connected society, yeah, still feel so alone? And that's just and and, and like you said, Laura, I think that that's that's changing. Mm-hmm. I think that as more women talk and as more women um, are brave to share their stories, both while they're in the midst of it and as they come out of it, um, you know, I think that it's it's actually only going to benefit us in the long run because not only do we know that we're not alone, we know that, like what you're saying, there's there's nuance within the postpartum mental illness spectrum yeah. that even within like the depression category, it can look so many different ways. Um, anxiety can look so many different ways. Psychosis can look so many different ways. OCD can look so many different ways. Like there's so many areas that, um, a lot of times we think, oh yeah, no, postpartum depression means this. And you're like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't have that. So therefore I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm not fine, but I'm not that, you know? Right. Exactly. Right. (laughs) So what's wrong with me? Yeah, exactly. Or like, I just need to grin and bear it, which I've heard so many stories of women about that. And then they go through this, like, treacherous cycle for over a year of never getting help. Yeah. And before they know it, they're like, and then they're like, wait, that was, that was depression. <laughs> like they just didn't know. No. no and I think something um, that's really, I, Melissa shares this in her story with anxiety is it wasn't until she identified the anxiety and what it was tied to that she realizes I could connect better. Yeah. I, yes. could, I could connect better with my kid. I could connect better with myself, with my yes. husband. If, if I, you know, if I can own this and I can name it and I can see the ways in which it affects my parenting style, yeah. my love for my kid, I can actually like grow deeper in relationship. Yeah. And, and this was yep. further into your story than I'm sure you would have wanted hoped, yeah. or hoped, but yeah. it, but you found it. Yeah, to be yep. able to to be able to still, you know live with and and struggle with anxiety and yet to see healing in relationships that you know, healing of the damage that's been caused in those relationships by 
really not addressing that, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that mental state, which was went on for way too long for me. Um, I think it's so amazing that you that you got the support and the help that you needed right away. Um, What what did that look like to to kind of transition to like, now I'm now I'm like, like you said, like now I have, I have to deal with a mental illness for the rest of my life. Like, what does this look like? You know, mm-hmm. what what did that look like to sort of transition and, and, and get that kind of support in an ongoing sense? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, a piece of it was looking at, okay, what were the mechanisms that I used kind of in the throes of the darkest moments of postpartum depression mm-hmm. and said like, what are, I mean, you, you, you don't need crisis intervention all the time, mm-hmm. right? Like there was a period of time in my depression story where I, I needed crisis intervention and it, it was a lot of people and a lot of things at once. It was therapy twice a week, like counseling twice a week. It was my husband moving home, his office home. It was being yeah. on higher doses of medication. It was, there was a lot that was happening yeah. um, with my care. And as I kind of gradually like moved through the counseling process, I moved through like, okay, what would it look like to taper off meds? Um, and then like going all the way off them and realizing like, oh, I, that was kind of the kicker for me was realizing I still need them mm. and going, wait a second, we're a year and a half out. Why do I still need meds? Yeah. And kind of talking with my counselor about it, talking with a psychologist about it and going, okay, this is what this is going to look like. So what does that mean? And coming up with a plan with, you know, a counselor to go, hey, okay, this is the reality. I now live with depression and anxiety. Yeah. Um, what are the tools both that like they see in their own expertise, they're the experts, right? <laughs> they're the physicians and everything else. Um, to go, what, what do you see is helpful? What do you see that has helped people in my same condition? Um, and to trust them in a lot of ways and for mm-hmm. them to put a lot of trust in me to go, you know how you feel, you know what this feels like, you know what these cycles are. And for, for me to kind of move into, okay, what are long-term healthy mechanisms that I can place in mm-hmm. my life that will help me yeah. deal with living with a mental illness? And that has looked like consistent counseling. Mm-hmm. And it's looked like medication and it's looked like being open about living with mental illness with the people who are in my direct community. Yeah. So, because if, if, if I can look at my close community who know what it means when I say I'm having a very low day, mm-hmm. they'll know exactly what that means. And all of a sudden, like, you know, there's my friend Karen who shows up at the door with food and Eric is more present with the kids. And there's just like, everyone kind of like walks into motion, right. And mm-hmm. goes, we know what this means. Here's how we're going to operate. Here's when everyone kind of makes it happen. And yeah. so, in, and including me, I know what I need to take care of myself. I know what I need to cope in a healthy way. I know that I probably need to make a counseling appointment for that week. I know that I, you know, like there's just things that you learn to put into place. There are rhythms that yeah. come with the high days and the low days that um, <coughs> you just learn, you just learn with time. And frankly, as hard as it is to say with trial and error. Yeah. And, and, uh, and with, you know, the, the kind of awareness that you're talking about only comes from doing the hard work that you've done because it is not, it is not easy. And most people don't live in that place where they can, they can quickly identify like, this is where I'm at. These are the, this is the help I need. These are the support structures that are going to help me get this through people, mm-hmm. you know, people 
go through really, really deep, long cycles of depression or anxiety before they are able to to have that awareness. So yeah. that only comes from the hard work that you've done, which is which is so important. It is so important. And frankly, a lot of that language and a lot of my ability to communicate with my community, to communicate my needs, both to myself and the people around me, mm-hmm. has come from walking that through with counseling. Yeah. And so for, for me to voice to my counselor, hey, when I'm fe- like, I'm feeling this and I, I don't know what to do with like a moment like this. She has helped give me the words to tell other people. Right. And to go, I mean, I have an amazing counselor. And so for her to say, okay, you need to come up with like, you know, a, <laughs> almost like a safe word, <laughs> you know, to go like, I'm having a low day and everyone knows what that means. Yeah. Like, but it, she's given me the tools and the language to communicate that to myself and communicate that to others around me. And I think that that, that piece is probably the most crucial piece in living with mental illness is having a phenomenal therapist yeah. <laughs> and one that you can trust, um, you know, with, with a, with a wide variety of things, but who can help you, you know, navigate healthy and unhealthy coping mechanisms and can walk you through things. Because frankly, even as, even as I've progressed in my mental illness journey, some of the coping mechanisms that worked five, 10 years ago, right. Yeah. For mm-hmm. five to seven years ago now, aren't the same ones that are really helpful now that I've got like two kids and a job and everything else. Like things just shift, your life shifts, mm-hmm. um, new kids come along, um, mm-hmm. your marriage looks different, work looks different. Like there's all these moving parts all the time. Yeah. And so having one thing that's constant, that kind of keeps you like um, centered and knows where your healthy and unhealthy coping mechanisms are and where those unhealthy um, places in your life are can help you navigate those shifting landscapes as you move forward with a person with mental as a person with mental illness. So yeah. that has helped me a ton too, just as my life has changed in the last five years to go, I have someone here who can help me navigate that and keep me healthy. Yeah. That's my like North star mm-hmm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's crucial. I know um, we really wanted to ask you about a, a big life transition after um, your first baby having a second baby and yeah. what it was like going into wanting to get pregnant, wanting to give birth and facing postpartum again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a great question. Um, I was excited to have a second baby. I really was. Um, Rowan was getting ready to turn three. He was two and a half at the time. And so we're like, Oh, this is, this is great timing. Like we were kind of ready. We, in the, in the landscape of our family, we were stoked. We were really excited to have another baby. But personally, there was a lot of fear. Yeah. There was a lot of fear. Um, because, and not necessarily fear of the unknown, because now, like, even if I went through postpartum depression again, it wasn't my first rodeo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. at least now I knew what this looked like and what it felt like, and we could very quickly identify it. Yeah. So we had those kind of, like, safeguards in place, because at least now we knew. But at the same time, once you've been in that, like, darkness, there is, I mean, I didn't want to go back there. No. It was terrifying. It was, ter- it was the darkest time of my life. Like, I don't want to revisit that. Not, no way. Mm. You can pay me several, several million dollars to revisit that. <laughs> and, um, well, that's, yeah, that's what we've brought you on the show to talk about today. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) Offering me several, several millions of dollars. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Yeah, and so, like, facing that fear and going, this could happen again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Was really hard. It was really hard. I was, it was, I was fearful all the way through my pregnancy. But the other thing that helped too was being open and honest about my fear Mm -hmm. and talking that through with my husband, talking that through with my community and my therapist and walking through the rational and irrational of those fears. Um, and to go, okay, like I, and to always remind myself that I've gotten through it once. Yeah. I can do it again. If it happens, I can do it again. At the end of the day, it would be, can I cuss on your show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the shittiest thing ever, but I, uh, I can, I can, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can do this. I can't do it alone, but I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really got me through that, that really got me through that, like that, that whole pregnancy of going, this may happen, but I can do it because I've done it before. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when, when Scout came um, and walking through what that looked like after, um, it was similar, but it was very different. Hmm. Because with Scout, I had postpartum anxiety. And did, you, um, did that sort of come up right away? Was that? Yes. Yes. It, it came up pretty quickly about like, I mean, really like a week and a half. Okay after she was born, it was pretty obvious. Um, you know, not being able to sleep, not, I mean, there were just so many things. I couldn't be around a lot of people. I couldn't, I couldn't get my heart rate to like manage. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't, there were just so many things that I couldn't do. I couldn't, um, I almost couldn't operate without like a really rigid schedule. Yeah. I had to like really know what was going to happen. Um, otherwise it would spin me out like really badly into what looked like depression. Yeah. And so talking it through with my midwife, talking it through with my therapist and they were like, okay, yes, the the end result and where the anxiety spins you to is ultimately depression. But what you're experiencing is anxiety. Yeah. I was like, Oh, and and it wasn't like I was hovering over my baby all the time. It wasn't that kind of anxiety. It was a rigidity of life and almost incapability of moving and making decisions and just this like constant rumbling of fear underneath everything. Mm. I couldn't let go of what ifs. I couldn't, it just was this constant fear. I felt like my palms were always sweaty. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, that's kind of how it felt. And I, I realized, Oh, this is, this is also not normal. I knew in my mind, I'm like, this is common, but it's not normal. Like mm-hmm. I should be able to make a decision. I should be able to sleep without my heart racing hundred miles an hour. Yeah. I should be, you know what I mean? Like there were just things that set me off to go, okay. And I, I wrote out the anxiety longer than I did with the depression. Yeah. Anxiety is, is a little bit more, um, it can kind of like fool you a little more easily. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, yeah. cause it's hard to ignore like sad and despair. I mean, people yep. do, <laughs> right? They but do. it's, it's a very like, you know, sort of pervasive emotional state and anxiety mm-hmm. can just kind of trick you into thinking like, 
you know, the, no, the, I, I need things to be a certain way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And it can feel it's, a little bit more proactive. Like I think, you know, dep- that's true. depression can make you feel like oh, I don't do anything. Anxiety can make you feel like, well, I'm doing everything. Yeah. And it's almost like exactly. you would feel that as like a contrary thing to your, like, oh, well, this is way better. I'm not depressed <laughs> because I'm doing things, you know? I think yep. it's like, Melissa said, it's tricky. Yeah. It's way more subversive. <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. You know, it, yeah, it, it tricks you into thinking that you're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just not as obvious to the, to the outside eye, yeah. right. To, to other people looking at you, they're like, man, she's efficient. She's productive. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah. in, inside you are feeling a completely different emotion and it's like, it's straight up fear. It's yeah. straight up. Like you cannot regulate your heart, you can't regulate your mind to think outside of the box that anxiety has created for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just debilitating. Yeah. Debilitating. It, and it is, it's about those what ifs it's about it's, and it's most of it's inane, ridiculous stuff, but you know, all the things yeah. that you can't control that you want to control, um, that are just, just kind of spinning, spinning in your mind constantly. Yeah. Did you did you try to nurse Scout as well, or was that kind of off the table from the start? Um, it was pretty much off the table from the start. Yeah. Um, because I because I knew and I talked it through with like my midwife and everybody yeah. else with Scout. I'm like, listen, this is this was the spark that started yeah. a really horrible spiral. Mm-hmm. And as much as I would love to give it a try, at the end, I am pro feeding my baby. Yeah. I don't know. I don't care what it looks like anymore. <laughs> um, I would just like to be the healthiest person that I can be because I know that this is the alternative. Yeah. Um, and so everyone was on board. Everyone mm-hmm. was stoked. I got a little bit of a side eye from a couple of the nurses in the hospital, but I did not even care. Oh, so, oh sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. You're fine. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, in approaching your second pregnancy, did you continue to take medication for depression? How did you kind of make those decisions? Yes, I did. I did continue to take medication. Um, yeah, I, I walked it through just, you know, with, with my medical providers and going, Mm -hmm. this is the reality. We know what happens when I come off it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have a little boy now who's almost three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can't not function. Yeah. Like I can't, I, I can't not be regulated. Um, so we did taper a little bit, um, but not much. And yeah. so, but I, I, I stayed on medication and I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. I actually, as, as miserable as pregnancy can be for a lot of women and it was for me, I got so sick with Scout. Oh my gosh. So mm-hmm. sick. Um, and uncomfortable and everything else. I felt like I, I could actually enjoy it a little bit and treasure Mm -hmm. it. Um, which was really important to me. I did not want to grit my teeth and just survive it. I didn't, and I didn't, I didn't want to grit my teeth and survive anything, let alone pregnancy. You don't want to go through life like that. And so, you know, we decided, no, I think it's good. I think it's healthy. I think let's like walk this through, let's walk it through your pregnancy. And then after you give birth, let's see how you do. We'll reevaluate. We can change it up. We can, you know, all those sorts of things. And so it was very much a, let's take it honestly, like a month by month basis. And it was just regular check-ins. How are you feeling? What's going on? How's your body? How were all those things? And so that was, that was really helpful to know that I had options. Yes. Um, and that everyone was on the same page and everyone was like, <laughs> really like 
on team Nish, right? Like everyone wanted me to thrive and be happy and have a full healthy pregnancy and life with my children. And so, um, that's the kind know, of care that you want. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. You want everyone to be on the same team and for you and for your baby and mm-hmm. you know, your family. And so, um, I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful. I, I know that having those providers sometimes can be rare and yeah. I'm really lucky that I have really great providers. So that was, that was immensely helpful. Yeah. So you rode the anxiety out for longer, you said, than, than you did the depression. Obviously, when, when you had that experience with Rowan, when your husband was out of town, that was very like, this is, this is urgent, immediate, we need help with. And then with the anxiety, it was a little more subversive. So what did yeah. that, what did getting support and kind of working through that look like for you with Scout? Yeah, it, it, it took me a while to realize what it was, right? Because mm-hmm. like we said, it's, it's subversive, it, it presents itself differently. And so I remember I was, I was going to a friend's house and I was bringing Scout with me. And uh, as you do with babies that are freshly born, a couple months old, you, you bring an extra onesie everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just do. You just throw it in the bag. And uh, I forgot it. I forgot the extra onesie. And I got to my friend's house with the baby and the baby carrier and Rowan's there. And Scout had like a blowout, of course. (laughs) And um, of course, when you don't have the onesie, right? Like, yeah, yeah, horrible. And so (laughs) she did. And I realized I didn't have it. And it was a full-blown panic attack Mm -hmm. over a onesie. And I remember, and I remember like, freaking out and like trying to remain a little bit calm because I'm in the presence of my friend here and I'm like trying to keep it together. I couldn't keep it together. Hmm. I just started, I like was shaking. I was on the verge of tears of like, I have to have this onesie. Like I don't have clothes for her. I'm a horrible mother. Like I just like spun out into this panic attack and she like calmed me down and was like, okay, we need to like, it's fine. Let me go get you a onesie. Like, and she had one. And so she brought it out and we calmed, she calmed me down and she's like, what is going on? I'm like, I don't know, but I have like sheer panic right now that I don't have this onesie. And Mm -hmm. she's like, can I call Eric for you? I'm like, no, I'm fine. So I calmed down a little bit and I got home. Um, and that, and I didn't even need to really talk to Eric about it. I just knew (laughs) I'm like this again out of the realm of normal common, but not within the realm of normal. And so I just immediately called my OB office and said, I need to come in as soon as you have an opening. And like, she's like, you can come in this afternoon. And so I came and I explained the situation to her and she's like, yep, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like the first time that I had felt something similar. It was, that was the worst that I had experienced leading up to that. But I, as I walked through it with her and like walked through different times, I felt really panicked and anxious She's like, you have postpartum anxiety. I'm like, of course I do. (laughs) Of course I do. Sometimes it Uh, takes those, sometimes it takes those extreme moments or, you know, noticeable moments for you to say, oh, this isn't normal. This isn't like, this isn't okay what I'm feeling. I can't go on feeling this way. That's exactly right. And so that's, that's what it was for me. And then having her help me identify that pattern, right? To look back and go, when else have you felt? really anxious about something that didn't really make sense. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, that's what this is. And I could walk through all the different times. Right. And she's like, yep, that's what this has a name. And I was like, thank you. I needed to name it. I needed to yeah, go like, yeah. what, what is this? Um, cause all I feel is panic. 
And so um, having a name was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And so um, that's when we, you know, walked it through with my therapist and said like, okay, let's, let's switch up medication a little bit. So we tapered off the medication that I was on just for depression and then went on for one that was more for depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden I started to feel regulated and go like, okay, again, like what are, and I would say like, what are my triggers? But anxiety is a little bit different. I didn't have the same triggers with anxiety as I did with um, depression. Anxiety for me kind of had like a sneak attack mm. approach. Like I didn't really see it coming. There weren't certain things that would spin me out mm. um, that I could really name because they were different every time. Yeah. Um, it, it all had to like revolve around like um, being outside of the like prescribed plan that I had in my head. But that can change from day to day. That can change from, you know, hour to hour. Yeah. And so I just didn't, I didn't have the same identifiers that I did with depression. And so anxiety was a little bit harder to go like, oh, man, how do I cope with this? Because I couldn't really see it coming a lot of the time like I could with depression. Yeah. Um, so that was difficult. And it, it still is difficult, actually. Yeah. Because um, you just don't see it coming in the same way. For me, anyway, I know that that's different for every woman. Some people know it's coming, um, but yeah, I think I think that I think it's it can really be either way. And and for me, with anxiety, I mean, I do have certain triggers, but it does the sneak attack thing too. I can be completely. I can I can I can actually have been in like the calmest state for the longest period of time and have nothing that would typically trigger me happen and all of a sudden it's like I'm just out of control panicked about this completely ridiculous situation that I've never even been panicked about before in my life it always has to do with with you know my kids um that's the only like common denominator right (laughs) but you know I don't have anxiety about anything else (laughs) just kids just the kids yeah just the kids that's again like that's the latent piece that you're talking about it's like yeah yeah you had this you know this was inside of you but it took you know having children to sort of bring to bring it to the light so that's exactly right yeah yep same so now so Rowan is is he seven now he turns seven next Tuesday wow Oh my goodness. I know. The last time I saw him, he was a little baby. I know, teeny tiny. I know. And Scout is, is she, she's in kindergarten this year, right? No, she's only three. Oh, she's only so three. Okay. I, she, yeah, she's three, but she acts like a 13 year old. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she has the attitude of a kindergartner and the ability, like the language ability of a kindergartner, yeah. but she is definitely three turning four. She, so. She's amazing. All the stories <laughs> you post about her are amazing. She's crazy. I love it. So now you're you're three years out from you know what we would consider like the postpartum period. How yeah. how do you feel now? What's your what's your general approach to self care and support and and just your journey now with mental illness? Yeah, you know it's honestly it's not much has changed. Yeah, I mean the the intensity of it has obviously. I think that the the postpartum phase is particularly intense for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, um, but it's not as um, all-consuming anymore yeah. as it is right after you have a baby. And so now it's just, um, it is, it is, it's a, it's a pattern and it's a rhythm of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a rhythm of self-care. It's a rhythm of, um, for me, a lot of it is prevention. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like I know what some of my triggers are. I know that if I go X amount of days without having some time to myself or X amount of days without um, time to let my mind rest or be outside or like all the type of things that I use to keep myself in a healthy balance, I know that I'm at greater risk. Mm-hmm. And so it's setting up my time. It's setting up my days. It's looking at, you know, Eric's travel schedule. I have a husband who travels all the time for work and going, okay, you're going to be gone for two weeks here. That's a long time. What are the things I can set up during that time that you're gone that I know will give me peace of mind and give me space to process and be myself and be healthy? Yeah. Um, so now it, it it is a lot of that. It's... um you know, there, there are, there are good days and bad days. There are great days and horrible days. There's a kind of a spectrum, right? It can get really bad and it can be really great and everything in between. And it's knowing what you need in those moments and knowing, um, you know, what you can do to help prevent them. You're not always going to be able to prevent them. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, those times are going to come whether you do everything and check everything off your list or not. And so when they do come, what do you do? Um, who do you have in place? What's your support system look like? What do your, um, you know, healthy rhythms look like? What, um, who's, who's on your team, right? Mm-hmm. Like who, who are the people in, in my world that can help me navigate this in a healthy way and keep me on track and moving into the next, you know, phase of health? Yeah. Um, all of those things. It's just, it, it, it is a it's a constant awareness. And in some ways that's exhausting <laughs> Yes, um, to kind of always have it in the back of your mind. Right. It's just, and I mean, you guys know your moms and you work and you do all these things. It's like, it's one more thing to manage is your emotional health. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, you know, one more schedule. It's one more, you know, thing that you have to keep track of, but um, it's so worth it. Yeah. It's so worth it. Um, Cause when you don't, keep track of it when you don't keep a handle on it and kind of play offense with it um it can completely pull the rug out from under you and it takes longer to recover if you don't right yeah Yeah, that prevention piece like you said is huge you have the just setting your life up in a way that is going to give you the best chance of you know like you said not entirely preventing it you're going to have moments where you're going to have tough days. You're going to have moments where it hits you like a train, but you've got things in place that allow you to, to cope and that allow you to reach out. I think the, the reaching out is huge. I mean, mm-hmm. for me in the, in, in the beginning and during the entire time I struggled really intensely with postpartum anxiety, that's what I didn't do. I didn't reach. I didn't know that I could. And I, and I was afraid to for sure. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to just reach out and say, this is what I'm going through. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's something that I think about when I hear your story and, you know, other stories that I've heard of people who this, this became their realization of mental illness in their life. Mm -hmm. Maybe if that's fair to say. And I think preparing, you know, preparing for pregnancy, preparing for birth, preparing for parenthood looks so different. We talk a lot about it on the show, especially about birth, but I think that for people, you know, I think the reason your story reminds me of this is you had no reason to believe this is going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so the, you know, the saving you, you said, you know, some of the saving graces of that is that you had a supportive partner. Mm-hmm. You had people to reach out to, like you knew who by name you wanted to reach out to. 
in a way. And I think that if if you're preparing yourself, you know, you're listening to this and thinking about now I have something else to worry about. Like, am I going to have postpartum depression? You know, in in, in the realm of all the other things I have to prepare for, is this going to happen to me? You know, I think that there's, it's okay to have a reverence for it and an education about it and awareness of it. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the only way that you can prepare for that or, or, you know, you know, I don't know, build something is to build community. And yeah. I think if you don't, if you're going into having a child and you don't, you look around and maybe your, maybe your peers are not doing that. Maybe you're in a different season of life than, than your closer friends. Um, maybe, you know, you have some kind of community, you know, for you, maybe it's church community for other people, you know, whether it's an exercise community or a health work community, community or work community. Yeah. Finding those people who are in, in similar stages of life or who have gone through that stage of life and asking for their help and support. And yep. the really beautiful thing about most women is that all you have to do is ask or even just engage and say like Mm -hmm. you know I know you had a baby a couple years ago like I'm really worried about not sleeping or finding people that you can ask those questions about or ask those questions to and to put on your team and you know I obviously like you had said ideally everyone would have a a really supportive partner who could see you and identify in you the change Mm -hmm. and the things that were different Um, but you know whether or not you have that I think it is it is vital as you kind of approach motherhood to find people to be on your team, like you said, yeah. to be on Team Nish, to be like ready, willing, and wanting to support you. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you're listening to this and you've had postpartum depression or you're listening to this and you're pregnant, those are the things that, you know, I think are huge takeaways from your story is, like you said, you know, constant, consistent um, therapy, but also having your community. Mm-hmm. Be a part of your pregnancies, be a part of your postpartum period, being a part of your life. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a, a big piece for me in that was, especially the second time around, mm-hmm. I learned this the second time around, was um, I have a really hard time asking for help because I don't want to be a burden to other people. That is a huge personality thing in me that I now know because of postpartum depression. Yeah. And it was really hard for me to ask for assistance and help to go like, I actually do need someone to cover dinner tonight because I literally cannot get out of bed. Yeah. And so ha- and when when you start to set up these teams as you're looking forward to pregnancy and or not not pregnancy, but birth and having your baby, um, identify those things in yourself. Like what are, is there anything in me that would keep me from asking for for help? And is there something that I can do to prevent that? Is there someone that I can ask now mm-hmm. to say like, hey, this may happen to me because this is reality and it happens to a lot of women. Will you be the person for me that commits to asking me the hard questions? Yeah. That commits to asking me like, how are you really doing and not and making me answer? And so that, that was a huge one for me and having a team of people who are – um, who, who can be proactive for you in the way that you need. So for me, I had to set up like some people to go, I actually am going to need you to bring me dinner for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, after I got my like postpartum anxiety diagnosis to go like, there are going to be times where I may call you and say, I'm having a low day and I won't, I won't need to actually verbally ask you for something. You'll yeah. just know, and y- it will put you into motion. Like, so have those people in your life that know um, if, 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 you, if you struggle with asking for help, identify that in yourself now, and then set yourself up for success after. 
um, which, which is huge because like I said, for whatever reason, we don't like to voice it. We don't like to name it. We don't want to burden other people with it. Um, but the reality is like, like what you guys were saying about women, like we're so ready and able and wanting to help. Um, and so setting that up now while you're in a healthy place and hopefully you will continue to be in a healthy place. Like, Mm -hmm. right. That's our hope is that, you know, fewer and fewer women have postpartum issues, mental illness. Um, I'd love to see it go away because it's horrible, but the reality is you may. And so what can you do now? to help set yourself up for success later. Um, you may not need it, and I really hope you don't. But if you do, you have the system there ready to roll. Um, and again, that's that prevention piece. What can you, you know, how can you set yourself up for success? And frankly, all those things, even if you don't end up having postpartum mental illness, will actually be helpful to you just anyway. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Whether you have postpartum depression or not, you are still going to have days where you're like, I cannot make dinner and I, you know, or I cannot, I cannot even like look at this baby for another five minutes. Like someone needs to come over and relieve me right yeah. now. You're yes. going to have that no matter what. And exercising those abilities to reach out, to ask for help, to be vulnerable, to set aside, you know, the fears that you have about what people will think about you, what they'll think about what kind of mother you are, or, you know, what kind of inefficiencies are in your life that you can't possibly get dinner on the table, you know, letting that all go and just like practicing. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you want to share with us and with our listeners today about your journey and, and how women can help navigate this part of the process? I'm trying to think, you know, I think that, um, the thing I'd probably say is that we, we talk about mental illness and we talk about postpartum mental illness particularly. And it, it, it sounds really scary and it is, it is scary. There's, there, there, there's a lot about it that incites fear and, um, you know, that we're worried about and it is hard. It is difficult, but, um, it, it is survivable. Like it actually is survivable and it is, um, you will find as you come out of it. And if you're, if you're in it now and you can't, again, you're in the place where you can't see past the end of your nose that like it, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Even if you do continue to struggle with some form of mental illness after you move out of the postpartum phase, there is health and there is beauty and there is joy and it is not going to be all consuming. There is a light at the end of the tunnel and there is wonderful things waiting for you on the other end. And just to hang in there, um, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing. Hang in there. You can't like, you actually can do this. Like you really, really can do this. Um, so while if, if you're going into birth and into having a kid for the first time or your second time, and you're just worried about it, know that like, yeah, it's hard, but you can do it. Like a lot of women do it and we've all gotten through it and you can too. And if you're in the middle of it, like the end is coming, it's coming. Just hang on Mm -hmm. just a little bit. Just hang on. One of the things I, one of the things I love about watching your journey as a mother is just you you mentioned in the beginning, like in that moment with, with Rowan, where you just, there's no joy in this for me. I do not, I do not even want this. And I see in your journey and in what you share plenty of 
the you know the struggles and the hardships of being a mom but i see so much joy mm. in you and in your relationship with your kids despite any of the struggles and and i know you've had many mm-hmm. um and it's it's so apparent that that is a gift that you bring to them and to your family and i think that's like you just said like that's the light at the end of the tunnel because i think the despair of depression and that hopelessness is is really rooted in like this is the rest of my life it's going to be exactly like this for uh-huh. forever and i can't do that i can't do it if it's going to be like this for forever that's right and i think that you know your story my story are absolutely examples that even though there are ongoing struggles and even though this may never be something that just like magically disappears one day, there's so much joy to come. That's right. And there really is. Yeah. Postpartum mental illness, no matter what you go through is not, it does not define you as a mother. It does not define your relationship with your child. It does not define your relationship with your spouse. It is a defining moment but it is not the ultimate thing that has say over your life and the relationship that you have, that you're going to have with your kids. Um, you will learn a lot about yourself and a lot about your children and a lot about, um, your community in this process, but it is not, it does not define you and it does not have the final say. And, um, that's the truth because there, there is that light at the end of the tunnel and that light is, you and your joy and the joy that you have in your kids is going to be the defining thing that defines you as a mother, not this. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the, that's the truth. And so if you just need to hang on to that one little nugget to go like, this doesn't define <laughs> me, <laughs> this yeah. is not it. This is not the thing that defines me. This is not the, defin- the and it's not the thing that defines me as a mother. Um, yeah. then I hope you hear it. Well, that is, that's very powerful. And and I, I'm glad that you shared that in, you know, in light of the rest of the story. So mm, thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nish, for sharing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. This was lovely. Yeah. yeah, we we loved hearing your story, and we know it'll be really powerful for our listeners. So thanks yeah. so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth and being a part of this community. We'd love for you to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to rate us in iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. We'd also love to hear from you at motherbirth.co if you have any ideas for topics for us to cover or if you'd like to be on the show. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Birth is a personal podcast created by Laura and Melissa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.